Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we discuss the companies, the people, and the technologies that we believe are shaping the evolution of retail. Today, we are excited because we have Dan Clark, the president of InterEdge, with us on the show today. Dan, welcome. How are you doing? Hey, how are you doing today? We are doing fantastic. We are doing fantastic. How are, there's a lot of crazy things happening in this world right now. How are you surviving this whole coronavirus thing? Uh, well, I think I've probably been through it personally at this point. I'm just recovering, but uh, wow. getting over it. Um, my girlfriend is a doctor, a healthcare worker, so she's on the front lines of this. Um, it's uh, It's been an interesting week. Yeah, I bet. And so you're hunkered down. Well, you guys are based in Phoenix, right? Is that right? We're based in Phoenix, and normally I'd be in my office right now, but of course I'm at home. Like it looks like you are. You have the same door behind you that I do. I think we do. We must have the the architecture. The architecture travels between Minneapolis and, and uh, I think technically right Chandler, Arizona. So uh, yeah, no, that's pretty funny. And then Anne, of course, is in our studio. But hey, let's get started. Let's let's start. Let's start with you, Ashley. That's what we always like to do. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, and then after that, let's let's talk a little bit about the company and what it does. Sure. So I'm Dan Clark. I'm the president of uh, InterEdge. Um, InterEdge is about a 1,300-person software development company. Um, we have over 1,000 employees here in the United States. We have offices in, in Phoenix and Chicago, uh, New York, California, um, and then all over the world. We do predominantly software development work that has a security edge to it. Okay. And it's that kind of security involvement that... Uh, is what prompted Intel to ask us to start developing a privacy platform several years ago. But we do predominantly software development work for big companies, for companies like American Express and Intel and Nike and uh, American Airlines and big companies like that. The cool thing about this too is the way I was connected to you originally was I think through a high school friend down in Arizona and he said, hey, you've got to really check out this company because they're doing some really interesting work in terms of data privacy and security specifically. So if you will, for our loyal listeners, I'd love for you to talk about exactly kind of what you're doing in that space. Sure. So so uh, we have a product called Truyo, and Truyo is something that we co-developed with Intel uh, for privacy compliance. So about almost five years ago now, um, Intel is very active in the retail community in particular and is uh, on the board of RELA, the Retail Industry Leaders Association. Um, as part of that involvement, they saw on the horizon what was called GDPR. Mm-hmm. And GDPR, you've probably heard of, is, is kind of the European Union's uh, standard around privacy. And GDPR is, it basically says you have to be transparent about how you use people's information, you have to give people certain rights around it. And Intel's, one of Intel's key executives, uh, who's very involved in the retail industry, saw GDPR on the horizon and realized that this was coming, but also realized or, or thought to themselves that maybe the, this wasn't just going to be a European thing, mm-hmm. that this was going to be something that was uh, going to be popular really across the entire world. And so they asked us to develop a, a platform, um, initially just for Intel, but then eventually 
Uh, now it's offered and it's used by, you know, uh, more than 50 household brand named companies to comply with these privacy laws. And Dan, put a, put a timeline on that for us, because I know Ann and I are familiar with what that is, but just in case anyone listening maybe isn't as familiar with it, you know, when did all, when did that conversation start? When did that European legislation go into action? And, and you mentioned 50 companies too. Take us through that timeline there, Horizon. I'd love to know more about that. Yeah. So on, um, on May 25th of, of 2018, GDPR 18. became law. And so it was about, about a year and a half before that when the legislation had passed in, in Europe, uh, but wasn't actually starting to be implemented yet when um, we got this call from Intel. And you know, the, to their credit, most people thought this was only going to be a European thing. And most privacy laws, most compliance laws don't have really far-reaching implications inside of a, of a, um, of a company, but privacy laws do. And that was really what Intel, Intel saw. So, you know, you, you came out of retail. Think yeah. about how many places in a retailer do you have personal information? Oh, yeah. Right. It's immense. It's immense. And, and how did, so as, as this was happening then, like, what is the, what is the general, Im, what is the general impact on companies then as, so like say I'm a European, let's, let's go there first and then we can go maybe to the U.S. market as things have changed a little bit and shifted there too. But, you know, as I'm a, I'm a European company and this thing, this, this legislation starts to happen, it gets enacted. What impact does that, do I immediately feel in, on my business or even into my consumers or my workflow? Like how does that all work? Yeah, it's pretty significant the impact this can have uh, to, a, to a company um, under GDPR or under any of the privacy laws because fundamentally what the privacy laws do is they grant rights to a consumer to be able to kind of see what kind of data do you have on somebody and how do I use it. And that sounds relatively simple and it sounds like something everybody should get. And in fact, I'm a big proponent that everybody should get those rights. But it's, it's quite broad reaching within an organization. You know, you think about uh, under these laws, uh, it's not just notices, it's not just policies. You have to be able to respond to consumer requests. And so a consumer can say, and you could say this, uh, or I can say this to, to really almost any company, I can say, hey, I, I want to see what data do you have on me? And I want to understand what do you use that data for? And if I don't want you to have it anymore, then uh, I want you to delete that data. And you think about that at a retailer, you know, or at any company, and it sounds simple. Hey, I just want you to delete <laughs> my data. But, you know, at, at Target, there's, it's not like that data is in one place. The data is in many, many places, and there's many, many copies of it used for many different reasons. And so now you have to organize that. You have to understand where it is, and you have to be able to respond to requests. Well, it's not like these requests are coming in in a standard way either, right? Like they could be, couldn't they, they could be, am I correct in assuming that? Like they could be coming in any shape or form to any department within the retailer too, potentially. And yeah, then under, they've got to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, under GDPR, you can you can make a request in any form at any time. So really? Could, yeah, you could walk into McDonald's and say, uh, <laughs> I, I want my data or I want you to delete my data. And they have to be able to deal with that. Um, you could do it in a tweet too um, <laughs> under GDPR. Under CCPA, the California law, so this has now kind yeah. of come to, to other parts of the world. And the one that, that affects um, users probably the most 
after after Europe is the the one in California because California is a huge part of most people's business. If any part of your business touches California and you're of any size, either you have 25 million in revenue or you have at least 50,000 records of California consumer records, then the CCPA applies to you. So it's very, very broad in terms of its applicability. And it has similar rights that it grants. It grants new rights to consumers. Um, actually, under CCPA, to your question specifically, you can, you, you can limit it a little bit under CCPA. You don't have okay. to take a tweet. You don't have to take <laughs> it uh, in person. You literally have to do that in GDPR. Um, in CCPA, you have to have two intake methodologies. Okay. And, and they should generally match up with the way you generally do business with consumers. So if you're predominantly an online business, you should have an online form, um, maybe an email address. If you're predominantly an in-person business, then you should have a mechanism of, of, taking, of mm-hmm. intaking those requests in person. But it should just basically be however you normally do business. I've never thought about that angle before. And I think I've probably talked to you guys three or four times prior to this. So that that's really good to hear. What? So how do you guys fit into that then? Like, because to be honest, that sounds like an incredible mess. Like if I was a retailer, I'd be like, I mean, I can just see the boardrooms being like, oh my God, how are we going to handle this? How are we going to create an operation around this? We're going to try to stand something up. And that seems really hard to do. And if everyone's trying to do that themselves, it definitely seems like an opportunity. So how do you guys fit into that whole equation? So the platform that we co-developed with Intel, which we call Trio, is used for a company to comply with this because it is difficult and it's messy. Um, and predominantly, it's because you have data in so many different places. Mm-hmm. So if you were purely an online business, if you just had a website and that's all you had in the whole world, it's not that hard to know where that data is and to be able to comply with a request to delete or a request to know. But that's not the world that most people live in. Most people live in a world where they have messy, multiple systems. You know, you have a CRM and you have an accounting system and you have a different system for for your mobile app and you have a different system online and you have yet another system that marketing uses and you have external companies that use it. It's not a company, it's not uncommon that you have dozens or even hundreds of systems with personal information. So what we do is we connect to all those systems. And then we provide a portal back to consumers that allows those consumers to make the request and for you as the retailer or the business to be able to manage those requests in a much more, uh, much more manageable way. So Dan, not to oversimplify this, but is this basically then like a plugin that a, a retailer can use that sits within their own platform that can help manage all this data? And then like you're saying, provides a, some sort of dashboard back to the, the customer. Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's what it does. It does a little bit more than that. It's more than just a dashboard, because you have to provide uh, these this information in specific ways in order to comply mm. with with CCPA versus GDPR versus the one in Canada, which is called Paquita, for example. You know, you have to maybe support multiple languages. You have to support certain formats of the way the data is uh, is displayed and communicated. And we do all that automatically. So we okay. automatically adapt to all those things, and then we provide a, a workflow management system on the back end so that the business can see the request, they can see it's, it's verified and validated because you don't want to give this information to the wrong person. Right. You know? uh, otherwise, you could actually be creating a breach. If, you, if I 
Um, oh wow! If, I never thought about that. If I give my, if I give your information to someone else, then um, that's not allowed. So you have to make sure you verify the person that they are who they say they are. So we do all that automatically. And then you have to report on all this too. You have to report on it to the authorities. And we automate that as well. What what is what does an implementation like this look like then with you guys? If you can share that, like, so say somebody's interested in this, say, hey, I, you got me. I want to do this. Like, what's the degree of complexity there? Like, what are we talking about here? So so typically, when somebody makes the decision to implement our platform, it's because they have some issue. Okay. And so they're almost always There's a need. Heard. Yeah. Yeah. They're, right. They're, they're not just doing this as insurance. Typically it's because they have an issue. Okay. Um, and so if you have that issue, you have a lot of requests, you have uh, um, some messiness in the back end, then typically they're in an enormous hurry. And so almost every implementation we've done, we do in phases where okay. we start off with a fast kind of uh, drop in version of our platform. So we drop it in, we do that within usually a couple weeks, and we get that company at least up and compliant so that they have the ability to intake the requests, they have the ability to track them, mm. um, they have the ability to, to be kind of visibly compliant. And we typically do that really fast, like in a couple weeks. And then once it's up and kind of the basics are running, then we start adding um, higher levels of automation and we start adding customization. The platform can be customized extensively, uh, not just the look and feel of it, but the way it operates to, to map against your business rules. And so typically, we, we don't have time to do that at the beginning. So sure. almost always, we end up with the first couple of weeks, we just drop it in kind of pre-configured. And then after we get it running, then we start uh, configuring the platform, customizing it, and adding levels of automation. How, especially in the time of coronavirus now, where I think this question is becoming even more important, as and as companies, retailers especially, have time to maybe look at some of the foundational elements by which they're doing their business and and try to get more productive or more efficient. How how much automation can ultimately be put into this? Like, is this something that once you're done, it can just kind of run on its own as long as you're software staying up to speed with what the regulations are? Yeah, we, we keep the software up to, up to speed with the regulations as they change and evolve. And you can be completely automated with our, with our system. Um, you can be at a point where all of the requests are automatically um, acknowledged, they're automatically fulfilled, deletion is automatic. You can be 100% uh, automated with our platform, actually. Wow. And, and I do think it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, in the days of coronavirus. Yeah. I, we, we did see a little bit of an uptick this week in uh, volume of requests in the platform. And huh. I kind of wondered uh, if that was, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't know why that is. Um, I'd be interested in why you'd think it is too, but, yeah. but there's no question we saw a little bit of an uptick, not like a massive increase, but enough of a volume increase that it made us all kind of go, huh, that's a definite increase. Um, why do you think, why do you think it, that is? That's a good question. I, 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 off the top of my head and, and I'm curious what you think too. I think for me, I would, two things come to mind. One, I think, uh, people just have more time. So maybe as they're sitting at home and I don't know where the increases are coming, whether it's Europe or here in the States or whatever, but, um, 
you know, maybe as they more more time, they have the time to make the requests. Uh, and then two, I think the state of the mind of, you know, what is my health? How much do I want people to know about me in general and what that can all be tied back to? I think those can be correlated together, possibly. I don't know, Anne, what do you think? I mean, I think part of it- And turning the tables, by the way, too. The first, yeah, right. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I think you're you're seeing one, a ton of information as more um, underage people are accessing online platforms now that the social learning is starting to take place. So I think I've been seeing at least tons of articles on like Zoom and how much data Zoom is collecting while you're right. on these conferences about you, about your family, about how long you're paying attention during the call. I mean, there's all this data that uh, is in the news right now that's hot just because there's a lot of people who are using these free platforms. And so I think that may have something to do with it. Um, just kind of a natural extension of people being more curious about what information is being shared beyond their, their knowledge. Yeah, I think, I think it could be, could be any of those. Um, I'll tell you a, a kind of funny, embarrassing story about myself. Yeah. Oh um, God, please. <laughs> so, we can't so, wait. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so Brian always cringes when I do this because I have some I have some very funny stories about myself. But uh, so part of the reason that that I got actually interested in privacy and and became passionate uh, that we need these laws is because of my own personal experience. So um, so I have a girlfriend of about five years now. Uh, she's a doctor and uh, an Iron Man and just an awesome, awesome girlfriend. And, um, three times since we've been together during those five years, I've had to have this very awkward conversation with her where she said one of her friends matched with me on match.com. Hmm. And she's like, what the heck? You know, we're together, we're living together. Things are going really well. And, and why are you out there on match.com? Yeah, right. like, <laughs> I'm not on match.com. Like I, I, I deleted my profile probably six months before we met even. Yeah. And well, it turns out that in the fine print of match.com that oh. uh, you can't actually delete your profile. And so uh, you, I, there is a little hack, by the way, if you, if you change your profile picture to that of a horse, you stop <laughs> getting matches. So I did do that, but, but oh it wasn't, it, it literally wasn't until CCPA uh, became effective that right. I had the right to go back to match.com and say, Hey, delete my profile. And uh, my girlfriend this morning, uh, I, she was, she was like, so what are you doing today? And I, I was like, ah, I don't have that busy of a day. I have a couple things going on. She goes, well, do you finally have time to delete your match.com <laughs> profile? There you go. That, that, that's the answer, right? Yeah. That's funny. Oh I my knew God. that they could keep using it in advertising, which I've heard some stories about that where people have seen like on their, uh, in their, you know, Instagram or Facebook feed or something, pictures of their, their spouses on match.com. But I didn't realize that you couldn't completely delete your profile. Oh that's shocking. That's yeah, under CCPA, of course, now you, you have that right. And, and I think it's, it's a right we should all have. We should have the right to be able to go back to a site and say, hey, get rid of my data. You know, mm -hmm. First of all, what data do you have on me and mm -hmm. how are you using it? Are you using me in advertising? I'd like to know. Yeah. And you think that should be an, in, uh, just a, uh, an inalienable right for everyone to have, but you mm -hmm. don't have that 
absent some type of privacy law like CCPA. Hey, Dan, I have a question for you about the, uh, we've been talking a lot about digital retail and experiences and, and capturing this data, but can you tell us a little bit too about the physical, cause, um, like with the way that you're capturing this data and you're giving this information to retailers in a physical space? Yeah, you, so it does extend to uh, retail and physical spaces. Right. So, you know, you do have to provide notice if you're capturing information. You know, let's say you're swiping a loyalty card for somebody. You'd want to at least let them know how you're using that information, maybe on the back of a receipt uh, or, or some mechanism through that. You can use signage if you want to. But it is required that you use, that you uh, comply with uh, privacy laws, even in, even in, in physical locations like retail. And Trio's platform is able to kind of coalesce all of that data from both the physical and digital experiences. Yeah, yeah we we connect to every system that the retailer has, and that includes things like point of sale systems, okay. uh, the customer service systems. We can put a message on the back of a receipt uh, that uh, helps them be compliant in their notices. But yeah, we we connect to all these systems. We have hundreds of pre-built connectors. Um, we have clients, single clients, you know, large multinationals that have hundreds of connections into, into Trio for us. Uh, and so we're, we're already pre-connected with the large majority of the systems that people use. And we're particularly popular in retail because that's where the Intel group that, that birthed this technology came from, was from retail. Dan, I think two, I think two more questions because then I'm dying to get to how millennial are you based on that last Match.com anecdote. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm chopping at the bit already. But uh, <laughs> but a couple. One, I think first, I'd love like if there's a, an anecdote you can share of like you know just something that was really eye opening or I think interesting for other retailers to hear about you know what it was like to then to go on this platform and see like you know where the value was and maybe what was something people didn't expect as they were going through that process. Yeah, sure. So, so I would say that um, our platform is one where if you're getting a lot of requests, then there's a clear need for a platform. And so I would say if you're a retailer that has a lot of reach and you're already getting requests, you wouldn't be surprised that uh, a platform would benefit you. I think the one that, that's surprising to retailers mm. is when they get hit by what's called an agent. Uh, so I had this, this come up with a, a customer I was on the phone with this morning. So under CCPA, you have a concept where you can, where third parties or what are called agents um, can represent a group of consumers. And there are a number of third parties out there that are active right now. Uh, there's a, a group called Say Mine. Uh, there's another group called Tap My Data. Uh, Reddit is very active as an agent. And what they can do is they can say, hey, I want to group together uh, people with similar interests, and I want to go back and I want to make requests as a, as a group rather than as an individual. So you could go back to you know, anybody that you think is maybe a bad actor, some, some large e-commerce companies or whoever that might be that are, you're targeting, and you can go to them and you can say, hey, I want to see what data that you have, not on one person, but on my entire group. And, and that concept of an agent is uh, relatively new, and it's one that's just being tested. We only have about five agents active in our network, um, only a couple of which have actually made multi-requests. But if you get one of these requests, Whoa, yeah. 
Yeah. And you can get a request. We had one, one of our customers uh, got a request that had uh, from an agent that had 12 uh, consumers in it. And they, uh, they, this really, I mean, it kind of freaked them out because it, there's no reason that that couldn't have been 12,000 requests right. in one agent email as opposed to 12 requests. We actually heard this morning, I, I did a webinar this morning where, where one of the other guests said that uh, they had a customer that got 5,000 requests in a single email um, just last week and kind of a medium-sized company. And I think that's a place where our retailers can be very comfortable and confident that if you are getting a large number, if you do get targeted by an agent, that uh, we can handle that in an automated way. Okay. Well, that's a good segue too for me too. I was excited. It's, it's a good segue for me. I was going to ask you for my own edification, but now I think it, it fits in really well there, um, which is, you know, we've got this legislation in California. It's in Europe. Flash forward, you know, three, five years out, does this all happen then state by state? And it's really complicated to that degree with all those factors you've been describing? Or does this, be, yeah, how does that all work? Like, what, what are we looking at here? I think, unfortunately, this is, lar- this is likely to be a patchwork of state laws. Okay. Um, I've personally been involved in the, uh, the federal legislation. I was asked to testify by the Senate Oversight Committee that's considering federal legislation. Um, I'm involved here in the Arizona law, uh, the Texas um, draft, and a couple of other states as well. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, you don't see that the federal government is going to step in and and unify this. Um, I'm a huge proponent of that. I wish the federal government would do so. I wish they would step up and actually create, you know, one unified law for the whole country. Mm -hmm. I think there's a chance of that. Certainly not in today's environment, you know, where you've got bigger problems and right. you have deep divides between the Democrats and the Republicans. Um, but maybe in a few years, we'll see something like that. I think what's much more likely is, unfortunately, you're going to get a patchwork of state laws. Right. Um, New York has been very vocal that they, they want to continue to do this. Um, Hawaii, New Mexico, uh, Texas, Florida. Um, Connecticut. So I think it's very likely that we're going to end up with a patchwork of state laws, unfortunately. Now, now the good thing is Trio, our platform, yeah, we yeah. keep up with all you this can handle that, yeah. and we can handle that. Um, absent having a platform, it's very complicated because you have to keep up with, you know, what, what do you do in this state versus you don't do in this state? And there, there can be conflicts between the state laws. Uh, so you have to be careful to understand you know, which law that you're actually prescribed under. Yeah. It sounds, yeah. It sounds really <laughs> onerous to do on your own without some type of support like you guys can give. Um, all right. Awesome. Wow. That was great, man. Super educational, uh, super fun too. Uh, and let's do this. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Dan, right. We're about to play. How millennial are you? <laughs> Three questions. Just answer honestly, and we'll we'll tell you we'll we'll give you feedback. I think after we'll each one, yeah. yeah, yeah, honest assessment. Yes, for sure. Okay, so first question: When the option is available, not in times of Corona, but uh, normally when you're going to a grocery store or something, are you paying at the register with mobile payment or cash or credit card? Uh, well, I never use cash. Uh, so I would definitely be a big proponent of using mobile payment. Um, 
perfect. And if they don't have mobile, I would probably use a credit card as a backup. And I, I don't even carry cash uh, anymore. No. But mobile payment is just so handy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I keep my, my phone with me all the time. It's the only thing I have on me all the time. So I use mobile payment, I would say. Okay. Now, do you pick your, your, your establishments based on who has mobile pay? No. That no, is, you're not that far. Okay. No, all right. No, awesome. I wouldn't say that. Not I would yet. say in the world of coronavirus, I might. Yes. You know, uh, it's going to happen, want, right? You want some sort of touchless payment right now. So it's definitely better today, but no, not normally. I wouldn't. Awesome. Okay. Next question. Again, in a, in a typical time, uh, how many times a week would you order food or coffee or drinks from an app? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I might be embarrassed when I say this. Um, I would say uh, probably there's one meal a week that I don't. That you oh, don't. wow. Okay. Wow. That took a curve. Okay. Let's yeah. set up and delivery. What I do like you that. use, Dan? What's, what are your go-tos? I am, uh, I use Postmates uh, quite extensively. Um, you know, I, I do, uh, um, are you a Starbucks? Hub, uh, Starbucks. Uh, okay. We have we have a local place called Pesoto that I use all the time. Um, but no, I I almost never cook for myself, so uh, I eat out most of the time. And <laughs> when I eat at even at the office, I use I use Postmates like constantly. Okay. Uh, we have a grocery store. I use Instacart um, for all of my shopping. So I'm I'm very, very heavily using apps to, to buy food and groceries and stuff like that. That's definitely the, the highest answer we've ever had, ever. <laughs> yeah, that, that totally took a turn. That was great. <laughs> All right, last question. If you could only use one social app, which app would it be and why? Uh, I would say LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, I use LinkedIn extensively for, for work. Um, and I'm not really that into the other, any of the other social media apps, to be honest. Um, I use it a little bit to communicate, but not too much, but LinkedIn I use extensively and that's a great way to get in touch with me. And that's a great way to connect with me actually. Awesome. Oh, that's that's perfect. That's awesome. That was going to be my next question too. Like if people are interested, what's the best way for them to find you? But it sounds like it's, it sounds like it's just hit you up on LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn, you know, Dan Clark, Clark with an E. Uh, or you're welcome to check us out on Trio, T-R-U-Y-O.com. Um, you can also send an email to hello at Trio.com. But the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Awesome, awesome. And how do you think you did? I think I did really well until that last one. LinkedIn <laughs> is definitely not a millennial social platform. I don't know. Uh, I'm still surprised yeah. by the number of orders per week. Yeah. Like, that's incredible. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, LinkedIn, you get a little bit of uh, some dispensation too, because, you know, if you CEO, you're running, you know, running, you're running, you know, effectively with Trio, you've got kind of a new business going here too. That's like an important thing for people to get plugged into. So, you know, very professional hear, millennial. Yeah. Yes. We hear that a lot. We hear that a okay. lot, especially, especially in, in, in the circle that you're traveling in so yeah no i think you did all right man i think you did all right and the delivery was uh was impeccable <laughs> so that was great man well hey thanks so much for being with us um this is one of my favorites i think it was incredibly informative um and i got i think we both got to learn a ton which is why we do this a ton about a topic that you know quite honestly is only going to grow in importance here i think as the future unfolds and and 
as you said, you're already seeing some uptick in some of the activity around privacy. So who knows how that continues given everything that's happening in the world too. So, so Dan, Dan Clark, president at InterEdge and uh, Truyo, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the little questions too. Yeah, thanks, man. It was a blast. Well, on behalf of Dan, on behalf of Anne, from myself to all of you, and I keep saying this and I can't say it enough because it's so important right now, as we always sign off, be careful out there.